Hello, it's uh, 10 o'clock in Finland, and uh, today we have uh, Edward Dutton. Yeah, so <clears throat> uh, I think especially our Finnish audience is uh, very uh, uh, familiar with uh, Edward's work because uh, you, of, uh, you, of course, have been uh, uh, somewhat notorious in the Finnish media too lately when you have commented on the rape crisis in Finland. And uh, I think the foreign audience, the most, the best knows you from your YouTube channel, the Jolly Heretics. So welcome on board, uh, Edward. Uh, hello, 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 Jonas, hello, Tina. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Oh, great. Yes, it's funny. It's funny that the the book, my book, The Silent Rape Epidemic, wasn't even reported in the mainstream Finnish media. I mean, it was ignored completely by all the mainstream publications. But yet, it still managed to stir up a storm by being reported by Sormin Utiset. So it shows you how how influential alternative news sources are becoming. And I have been reading your book. Uh... Uh, or the Finnish translation of it. And I have to say that I was very impressed from the ve very get-go when I started reading about it, because I have been uh, talking about this book uh, like uh, as a book about the grooming gang uh, uh, crisis in Finland, but it's actually so much more that is in the book that it's a, a pretty full description of the Finnish uh, phenotype, uh, Finnish uh, qualities and uh, uh, what separates us from uh, other people. So I think uh, it has been a very interesting read this far and very impressive when it comes to how, uh, uh, in what a detailed way you have actually handled this topic. Oh, well, I'm very flattered. I'm very, I'm very glad that you like it, although a big part of that is a testimony to the brilliance of my translator. But but uh, yes, it's it's. I, I I hope so. I wanted to really get behind what was going on. I've been living in Finland for fifteen years, and the rape crisis for me that we, that uh, yourself and Eunice helped to uncover, um, it just encapsulated for me the problem. Encapsulated for me this fundamental change that has occurred in Finland that has occurred with incredible rapidity here, much faster I think than in a lot of other another a lot of other. Western countries, and and it just encapsulated for me the the central issues of what makes Finns stand out. And so I thought maybe there's a. Well, I started off writing it as an article. I thought the idea I'll do an article, an academic article about it, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it turned into a book. And uh, if you actually had to describe uh, Finnish people in a, a short way, um, uh, what would be the essential qualities of Finnish people you would mention first? Well, Finnish people are, as far as I, my research indicates and the research of others has substantiated this, are the most intelligent people in Europe. And they are also what we call the, the slowest life history strategy people in Europe. So this means they're evolved to this ecology, which is very harsh, yet very stable. This selects in favour of intelligence because it means there's more lots of difficult co uh, problems to solve. So it selects in favour of intelligence and it's like you're more likely to survive in an ecology like that. If you if you can uh, if you can uh, bring together tightly structured groups and this selects in favour of impulse control and it selects in favour of agreeableness and so those are the three key things high intelligence high impulse control we call it conscientiousness and high agreeableness and um, the Europeans are more like that than let's say South Asians or or, or, or Africans or whatever but Finns I think are the, in the most extreme are the, are the most extreme manifestation of that. And so that's the, that's the key personality traits. But also the other key thing is that the gene pool is very, very small because 
uh, the Finns have been so up against it because the environment is so harsh, then any deviation from the optimum simply can't be tolerated. So you get a very small gene pool, which means you get a very small difference between the stupidest Finnish person and the cleverest Finnish person. Highest IQ in Europe, 103 points against average of 100, but the range is small. You don't have many people who are retarded per capita and you don't have many outlier high IQ geniuses because these are functions of a larger gene pool. And equally with the personality, the range, and we've shown this, is small. You don't have many uh, psychopaths, but you don't have many, uh, you know, the, the, the other extreme as well, that you have a small range. And this is brilliant in terms of creating a society where everything works well and everybody gets on and everybody trusts each other and all this kind of thing and people are empathetic and they follow the rules and they only cross the road when there's a green man and whatever else but the the problem comes that the what we call the genius type what what the, what geniuses are and not just geniuses but also kind of political mavericks and people that rock the boat geniuses rock the boat they challenge the current system and those people are co combined outlier high IQ, very high outlier high IQ, with moderately psychopathic personality. And what I argued in the book is that countries like Finland, and also you could argue this is true of Northeast Asians as well, they just don't produce many per capita of those. Because the flip side of these geniuses, of these outlier high IQ sub-psychopaths, is low IQ sub-psychopaths, i.e. criminals and you know generally nasty people. And those people are such a problem in an ecology where you're up against it, where you're just about surviving in this freezing, harsh ecology, that the, the flip side of them is so bad that they can't be permitted. And the evidence for that is the small gene pool and the fact that you just don't get these outliers. And that means that when a new ideology takes over, and we can talk about why it's done that, but when it takes over, you're going to have very few people that are going to question it. And everybody's going to conform. And so something new is going to sweep through the society with incredible rapidity. And that's what I think happened with multiculturalism. When I came here for the first time in 2003, it was very much a nationalistic society. And I remember people saying to me, yeah, it's Sweden, oh, they have these this immigration there and these foreigners. Oh, goodness me, we don't want it to be like that here. That would be the worst thing for it to come, become like that here. We want to be Finns. And those same people, literally the same, are now people that advocate multiculturalism. So, so the, the country has flipped, and it flipped in about, I guess, about something like 2008, 2007. It flipped. The 20% or so of the population became these multiculturalists, and then when, once that happens, the dominant idea starts to be undermined, and people start to move over. There's research on that. The 20% is the tipping point. So that's what I think would summarize the Finns. You're highly intelligent, and this makes you uh, a, a superb country to live in in a lot of ways, but it also causes problems because the nature of the intelligence is so narrow uh, that you just don't get these outliers that will question the system when craziness takes over. And then there are other things as well. People that are intelligent are more trusting. Uh, they are more open to do, they, they, and if they're high in trust, then they will trust their leaders. They won't question their leaders. And if their leaders are advocating terrible things, then they'll just go along with them. So that's how I'd sum it up. Yeah, so some fun facts for our uh, international audiences that uh, I think you started streaming after we met because uh, although Finland is a big uh, country, we happen to live in the same city and uh, we have met several times. And I think the first your first uh, appearance on uh, Happy Homelands was actually on this so very sofa. And uh, uh, we met on the... Uh, Brexit dinner. We had a nice Brexit dinner, and you also have been uh, in October. You were a guest on our show, and 
Yeah, I bet we've met a few times. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was just after I, I was on that show of yours a year and a, a year and a, a bit ago that I had this idea that I might stop doing my own YouTube videos. <laughs> so yeah, now, so, so so yeah. And now you have thirty five thousand uh, subscribers on YouTube, and we oh, were good. kicked out of uh, YouTube. <laughs> so, oh, yes. Yes, yes they're not good people. Uh, but. Uh, what you um, about but about the essence of Finns um, uh, uh, when you ask Finnish people what the, what are Finnish values what are the most important values or core values of Finnish society uh, Finns usually <clears throat> name equality as one of the most important core values of Finnish society and Finns often take pride in how <clears throat> Uh, fin Finland has been a very gender equal country for a long time, uh, basically since its conception, and uh, we don't have a strong class society uh, like, for example, the UK has. Uh, but uh, Finnish people rarely actually discuss where does this idea of equality come from? That why is it that Finns have decided that equality is our core value and? Uh, so, do you think there is a biological root to this that the Finns simply are more equal because of that yes. narrow gene? Yes, I think there's, 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 yeah, precisely. They they literally are more equal. So, I think for for genetic reason, you have a small gene. What is social class? Social class is predicted by differences in personality and differences in intelligence. So, the correlation between for socioeconomic status and IQ is about 0.5. So obviously in a society where there are massive differences in intelligence, you're going to have massive differences in socioeconomic status and you're going to have a class system that's very, very noticeable. I mean, you do have a class system in Finland. And over 10 years ago, I wrote a number of academic articles on this in journals like Arctic Anthropology and Sormen Anthropology. There is a class system in Finland, but it's not as pronounced as in somewhere like England. It's not as delineated as in somewhere like England. And yeah, I think part of that is genetics. You are literally more equal. And so consequently, there's not going to be that much of a class system. And I think a second reason then is that if you're in if you're in a small society, um, which is up against other societies on the on the crossroads between Russia and Sweden or whatever, um, then one of the ways you can survive is, is by creating a strong sense of social solid. Literally, it's adaptive to, to have a society where there is a very strong sense of social solidarity, a very strong sense of ethnocentrism, positive ethnocentrism, everybody cooperating together and whatever. And and uh, National, a part of nationalism is a kind of leveling effect, particularly this kind of peasant culture nationalism. It militates in favour of everyone feeling the same and feeling a sense of sameness. So I think it's two things. I think it's genetics, and I think it's the genetics in, in relation to the environment and the, a niche that the Finns have managed to carve out of of equality and this idea of equality. And that is, but that's an equality within the Finns. That's an adaptive thing because having that ethnocentric view of yourselves as we are we Finns, we Finns, we're all equal apart from the Swedes. Uh, we, we, we all have a sense of ourselves as the same. And this makes you cooperative and it makes you prepared to make uh, you're genetically similar as well. And being genetically similar predicts that you will make sacrifices for each other. If you think the average English person, two average English people are on average 12th cousins, which means they share an ancestor about 500 years ago. And we act according to J. Philippe Rushton's theory, we act according to genetic similarity. We are, we, we are passing on our genes indirectly. We tend to be more genetically related to our, our 
wives, for example, than could be the case by chance, and to our friends than could be the case by chance, because we're indirectly passing on our genes. And the more of our genes we are likely to pass on or protect, the more we will act to do so, and the more sacrifices we will make. So obviously you're going to make more of a sacrifice to save the life of your child, who's 50% the same as you. You might lay down your life for that, um, than your cousin, and the, your cousin than your third cousin, and so on. Well, Finns are cousins compared to other countries. They have a small gene pool, and so compared to somewhere like England, they are cousins. And so you'd expect them to be highly cooperative with each other, and you'd expect them, therefore, to make sacrifices for each other. And that that's fine, but the problem is that when the certain things that promote that, one of them is the culture of nationalism, another thing is religiousness, and when those things collapse, when those things fall apart, which they have done in, in the last 20 years, really, then you're in serious trouble because you have all of these things that you've been selected for. You've been selected to be highly intelligent, but this also makes intelligence is correlated with being trusting. It's correlated with being altruistic. It's correlated with being open to new things. It's correlated with generalized altruism. Um, and so when religiousness and a sort of adaptive religiousness, which promotes basically Finnish nationalism and ethnocentrism and, and the good of your own ethnic group, when that's taken away, then what's left? And when you have a people as well who are so trusting that they don't seem to question their leaders and they trust their leaders, when that's taken away, then you're and you're confronted with immigration, then of course you're in very serious trouble because you just have this generalized altruism. And I think that helps to explain why the flip in Finland from being a nationalistic society to being a um, this multicultural rape hellhole has been so rapid. Yeah, and uh, your book, uh, The Silent Rape Epidemic, uh mentions these uh, grooming uh, gangs so the the same equality or this uh, idea idea that uh, Finns have they also apply this uh, in uh, in uh, in the courts and for example you mentioned that by December 2018 the whole country was convulsed by Oulu's Muslim child grooming scandal and so the, these grooming gangs they were oh, some of the, the members were uh, jailed in November 2018, but they were or they are already free. That's because, incredible. Because they got only a four-year sentence, and being first-timers and uh, youths, they have only uh, to, uh, to 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 have uh, one third of that uh, jail time. So it was 16 months. So they were already freed in yeah. March. And I, this... I mean, I couldn't believe it. Because I did a, an extra chapter on the end of the English language, on the end of the translation, I did a new chapter on what's happened since, and I mentioned it there, that in England, so you had to do that to a girl that young as well, because the sentence becomes more severe the younger she is. Um, you'd be on, you'd be thinking, you'd, it'd be like 12 years in prison. Yeah, um, but, but, but since, since the, the justice system is tailored to, to Finnish uh, mentality, uh, the sentences are very lenient, but we apply this to these uh, illegal, basically illegal migrants also. So mm. it's uh, it's not working, I think. Well, I didn't directly look at that, but that's true. So if I, I looked in the book at why these, from their perspective, from the perspective of the migrants, why would you expect these rapes to happen? Uh, and I said, you, you you predict it. Anybody with any understanding of, of human evolutionary psychology would predict that this would happen. So if you're a very low status male, we, we are evolved essentially to a society of, of polygamy. I mean, that's what's been the case for most of human history. And in that situation, uh, we females sexually select for the status of the male because they've got something to lose from the sexual encounter. They can become pregnant and they're more likely to su survive and their offspring are more likely to survive if they 
um, have the, the male who will look after them, and the male's more likely to be able to look after them if he has high social status and whatever, and if he has access to resources. So women will sexually select, to some extent, for high-status males. Now, what this means is that if you're a male, even in somewhere like Finland, at the absolute bottom of society, with absolutely nothing, then it's relatively difficult to uh, persuade a female to um, have sex with you, obviously. Um, and in that context, we know that males who are of very low status, their sexual strategy becomes rape. It becomes, it's almost psychologically built into males when they're of very low status. That you, you gang together with other low status men and you find a woman and you rape her. And that's how in prehistory men passed on their genes. And it's one of the reasons why this book by Palmer and Thornhill um, called A History of Rape, which argued that men are selected in that sense. Rape and the desire to rape has stayed in the population because males who did rape were more likely to pass on more of their genes. And so you've got these males in a situation of very low status. And so what's going to kick in is essentially a kind of rape mode you'd absolutely expect that to happen who who do men when they're really instinctive sexually select for it's very young women who are just about fertile because the younger you take control of them the more children you can have with them and the more you can pass on your genes and then you bring in this issue of genetic similarity theory which is that um if it's a person that's the same ethnicity as you then you're likely to treat them with more kindness and more love because they are genetically very similar to you and so you're in a sense hurting your own interests by hurting them if they're from a, from a very different ethnic group from you they're genetically very different then you really it's not harming your interests at all if they're harmed so who cares if you pass on your genes good if they're injured who cares? it doesn't really it doesn't really matter and this is one of the reasons why rape is always a weapon of war because it's it's, it's a, it, that's that's a third, a third thing which is that it's of course a means if you have very low status how can you try and gain higher status where well, you try and undermine the males you attack the males and in attacking their females and their their daughters in, in a sense you're kind of attacking them and undermining their morale and winning a war against against them which you are kind of in you're in a, you're in a battle for genetic resources for evolutionary an evolutionary battle against the Finnish native population and so of course you'd expect this to happen anybody could have told Mr Sipila uh, who that this would happen and of course it uh, um, it, it it did happen it's it's precisely to be um, expected and the problem is that Finland is this very strong shame culture where you part of the thing that's bad is that you're this small society where everyone's closely related and you have to live with the, the shame that people know that you're a very bad person. And this is terrible for you because you, you're a Finn in this small society and you've been bad to other Finns and you're bad and it's so shameful. I think that's a big part of how it works. What if you don't care? What if you couldn't give a toss what Finns think of you? then suddenly your sentence of four years in prison is pretty lenient. It doesn't, because you don't, who cares? Why should you care? Whereas if they take, if they put you in prison for 20 years, if you don't care, well, that will mean something to you. And that's why it doesn't work with, with foreigners, this kind of system. And uh, it seems that the only thing that actually might work as a de deterrent uh, is um... Uh, deportations, but of course, uh, uh, Nordic governments are very unwilling to do that because uh, uh, even if uh, some migrant commits uh, terrible crimes, uh, they say that no, we can still cannot deport this person back to, let's say, Afghanistan or, or Iraq because of their human rights, because uh, we would be sending them, them to certain death and that uh, that would be a human rights violation. So it's this absurd idea that the uh, that is so pinpoint focused on the human rights of 
these criminals, but completely ignoring all of the victims that... What about, yeah, what about yeah. the human rights of that poor girl that hanged herself? What about her rights? Yeah. And her parents' rights? Yeah, did, did you... Did you see the, the sentencing by the European Court of Human Rights? Uh, Sorry, no. Yeah, uh, there was a, a guy that was deported, or actually he he left uh, willingly to from Finland uh, to to Baghdad, and uh, the the European Court of Human Rights uh, said that Finland has uh, has not. Uh, followed the rules on asylum seeking because the guy is dead but uh, actually what happened is that the the certificate of death was faked so the the court oh, yeah. yeah the court made a, a decision based on a fake uh, uh, certificate and because of that fake of that european court we have stopped uh, all deportations in Finland. Yeah, I mean, so, it's madness. It's madness. Yeah. And that's one of the things I look at in the book is, is this madness and how it takes how it has taken hold of the West and how it has taken hold of Finland, although it's taken hold of Finland a bit later. And and what, what's central to it is industrialization. Once you industrial once when at the point of industrialization, child mortality is fifty percent. 20% of people don't uh, um, witness all their children die before them. 20% of people don't have children at all. So 90% of people don't pass on their genes, 90% of the population. And there's been models that have shown that to remain healthy, and all, genetically healthy, an, or, a, a group, an organism, 90% of the population must not pass on their genes. Only 10% must pass on their genes. And that's what happens in nature. 10% pass on their genes. And with the collapse of all this, with the collapse of child mortality, we have a situation where 80% of the population do pass on their genes. So 70% of these people are genetically unhealthy and wouldn't be here under normal Darwinian conditions. And what were those Darwinian conditions selecting for? They were selecting for what causes you to survive what, and what causes a group to survive, what causes a group to pass on its genes and what is what were those things that were being selected for things like ethnocentrism was being selected for things uh, the desire to help your own group and make sacrifices for your own group and be cooperative with your group religiousness was being selected for mainly because it seems to be associated with ethnocentrism and it upholds ethnocentrism um, as the will of god um basic desire to pass on your genes was being selected for all of these normal things that it would be normal in any organism were being selected for and things that were every generation you, you get people that were born with abnormal inclinations such as antinatalism or to, to put another ethnic group ahead of your own or whatever and these people would be purged from the population every generation because there is a very strong correlation between um, mutation of the mind and mutation of the body and so people that have a poor immune system which is what will kill you under these conditions poor immune system childhood disease they will tend to have mutations of the mind because the mind's 84 percent of the genome so it's a massive target for mutation so if you've got a mutations of the mind, you will have them of the body. And therefore, we know all of these kinds of pathologies, um, the, the transsexuality and things like this, all of these pathologies, they all correlate with a poor immune system uh, and with, with, with problems with the immune system, which would have killed you under Darwinian conditions. And so you get a rise of these people, these mutants that have these maladaptive ideas, and you get more and more of them. And eventually, because we humans are, as I look at in the book, in the silent rape epidemic, uh, um, there we are this, we're such a eusocial species, we're like bees. 
And so we're dependent on the person next to us being genetically normal for our own genes to be normally expressed. You get to a situation where these weirdos, will encourage, these mutants, will encourage other people to do maladaptive things. So they'll be against having children and they'll encourage, because they're maladaptive, and they'll encourage other people, other women to not have children. Um, and so eventually this madness spreads through the population. And eventually, once you get about 20% of the population thinking like this, then it flips and you start to get, as we see, this Kali Yuga, this insanity, this death cult that says that we shouldn't defend ourselves, we should put other, we should put other families ahead of our own family, other ethnic groups ahead of our own ethnic group, other species ahead of our own species, shouldn't pass on our genes, destroy ourselves, basically, is their, their idea, um, spreads throughout the population. That's what happened. And Finland was delayed, I think, in this. A, a because um, Finns industrialized considerably later, than uh, let's say England and so this is one of the reasons why uh, you I think you have higher IQ than us because one of the things that starts to go down once you industrialize is IQ you get contraception and then you get cleverer people avoid having children thus intelligence is negatively associated with kids but it only happens once you get industrialization that's the, but then also these maladaptive mutants I think this is this has come later to Finland it's come and also the natural conservatism of Finns means it's come later but it has come and it's come with a vengeance, I think, because of the way that you're so conformist. And so therefore, once the leaders are telling you to, to, to do these things, then of course you follow the leader. And now we get to this crazy bonkers situation where these, these Spice Girls, are running, these young girls in the mid thirties are running this gynocracy, the Spice Girls, we call them, are, um, are running the country. I mean, it's mad, but it's perfectly to be predicted by these evolutionary models. And it's an interesting development is uh, that you also talked about in the book that and uh, you mentioned that when you came to Finland, Finland was a completely normal nationalist country and uh, uh, it was uh, the opinion of the vast majority to be nationalistic and against immigration. But it seems that Finns are somehow so conformist that it's very easy to get them used to crazy ideas if you just edge them on one by one. And for some reason in around 20 years we have come from a pretty normal country <coughs> to a country in which we seriously talk about whether we should uh, uh, get charter planes uh, to fly in terrorists from Syria yeah. to Finland. And that, that is a serious discussion in Finland right now. You literally flew in a terrorist from Eritrea uh, with a, a tattoo on his arm indicating he was a terrorist. Yeah. And he raped an elderly person in Oulu. Yeah. yeah she was um, 86. 86 year old lady in Oulu. I mean, it's unbelievable. And the, and the, the nonchalance, the disdain of, of the authorities, I, 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 I call it in, in my book, I call it the great betrayal of people like Sipila and Soini, uh, that they did this to Finland for their own selfish reasons, for their own reasons of staying in power or their own reasons of not causing a, causing a stir or whatever. And it's absolutely, and it's, but it's totally predictable. And it, the, the worst thing about it is that, yeah, in 2003, this country, I think, was, I was in Poland recently, and in, in Poland, you're seeing the beginnings of it. In, po in central Warsaw, you're seeing the beginnings of it. You're seeing g groups of girls with tattoos and pink hair talking rubbish in bars in central Warsaw with leftist opinions that are in favor of multiculturalism and whatever. You're seeing the beginnings in Poland in the same way that you were seeing the beginnings in Finland in 2003. 
and you had an immediate reaction against it in the form of that when i came here you've got to remember the 200 seats in the finnish parliament and when i came here in 2005 true Finns had three seats and i talked to other Finns about why is your far your whatever your nationalist right so small compared and they'd say well because there's no immigration here and all the parties are very right-wing all the parties are against immigration in that sense by european standards all the parties are against immigration and it just sort of changed within 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 a few years um in the way that these models of how we would predict it would and one thing i have often thought about is these um uh the government for example the government spice girls uh, that uh, they seem to be driven by these large emotions but then uh, they uh, seem to be very able to switch them off when needed that uh, uh, for example they are feminists so if you start telling them about a girl or woman being sexually harassed or somehow molested by men uh, they will uh, feel a deep empathy they will feel the willingness to fight for the rights of that girl but the moment <coughs> you mention that the man molesting this girl is a migrant they suddenly turn <clears throat> turn against the issue and uh, uh, they are able to completely ignore the sufferings of the girl so uh, how does this how do they do this how do they turn off this over emotional created they yeah i mean they've created this ideology with, with this i think i call it a religion in fact i did an interview with richard spencer about which was put on the website yesterday about this i think that multiculturalism is essentially a kind of a new religion uh, and it has it has many of the components of a religion it doesn't have god it doesn't have belief in god but it has all of the other components of a religion and whereas normal religions have god and a belief in your eternal existence and and things like that that give you this hope of living of, of um that your life has eternal significance what well, they have a certain moral facts and there's a hierarchy of moral facts and what you also have is an inv so moral facts are things like we are all equal there are no race differences in intelligence races are all of equal value people are all of equal value whatever these are moral facts and these trump empirical facts and there is also a hierarchy of um of purity if you like a hierarchy religions have these conceptions of purity and the god is the purest thing that there is he's the holy of holies and as you move away in the jewish temple from the holy of holies then things can get less and less pure and there seems to be this hierarchy of purity um and the purest and and so the, the more uh, th this inversion of normal normal power structures and so the more disempowered you are in a sense the purer you are and the more worthy of love and reverie you are and so a woman is less powerful than a man so the woman is more worthy of reverie and love and respect and power empowerment than a man but a colored person is more disempowered than a white person and the woman is white and so therefore that person is even more important um and so that, that's i think why they can turn it on i think that, that it's like a hierarchy almost of gods and yes the god the, the the god that is embodying femaleness is being abused by a man men are bad men are less pure men are more devil-like but she is white and this makes her in turn more devil-like than a brown person even if that brown person is a man 
So I think one could possibly see it in those terms. If maybe that's over overdoing it, and if it is overdoing it, then another way of seeing it is simply that it's a contradictory ideology in which, yes, she believes she has to protect women, but she also believes uh, and you, you gain status and you gain social status by being a feminist and whatever, and therefore she has convinced herself that she's a feminist, but you also gain more social status by protecting non-whites. So if you want, if this is about playing for status, about virtue signaling, moral signaling, and getting status, uh, leveraging status by moral signaling, you are moral signaling more by favoring brown people over white people. And therefore, according to Kevin McDonald's effortful control theory, you would force yourself in that situation to take the side of the brown person over the white person. Now this is a problem because then you, you, you're, you're left in a situation where you're, you're, you're kind of, it's called cognitive dissonance, where it doesn't quite fit. You kind of know this isn't quite right. You, this isn't quite right. You should take the side of this poor girl, but but you can't because it's a it's a it's a poor refugee that's being accused of doing this, and this will open up racism, and this will be bad and terrible, and ah, and so this triggers you. This can trigger you often into becoming irrational and saying irrational things and being sort of highly emotional and accusing others of racism and whatever in order to shut them down and stop them from questioning the cognitive. Uh, dissonance that you have such that you have a sense of cognitive constants in the world making sense that's how i'd see it i'd also note that these particular women two of them seem to me to be quite damaged people in uh, personally so but two of them have fathers who are alcoholics and were raised partly in children's homes the prime minister and the maria ohisalo so I, that i think is possibly also relevant to how they behave yeah, so Maria Ohisalo is the party leader of the Greens and uh, the term Spice Girls was used. So uh, for the people that don't know what that is, it is our government. Uh, there are five parties and every one of them is a female feminist uh, crazy person. And now a big topic is uh, who will amidst this uh, coronavirus, uh, since the borders are closed for everyone except asylum seekers, um, who will oh, pick? Not, oh, 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 really? Yeah, Maria Ohisalo said that the borders are closed, but if you uh, seek asylum, you will let you will how be let. How can you in. seek asylum when you're you'd have to cross the? How would you cross the border? I mean, you'd have to come from a country that's already safe. Mm, yeah, like in twenty, <laughs> like, like it's been. But uh, yeah, one one big topic currently is uh, who will pick the the strawberries and other berries in Finland since uh, we cannot uh, fly in people from Thailand or the Ukraine. And um. so last Wednesday, I believe they flew in 150 Ukrainians. But uh, one day after, the U Ukrainians said we will not let them. Uh, go away from Ukraine. So now the problem is that Finland or the, our crazy government wants these foreign uh, workers, but Ukraine won't let them out. Good, uh, good. We had this problem in, in Britain as well of them flying in people from Eastern Europe to pick our fruit. I, I don't know why we can't just pick our own fruit. Yeah. And, well, I don't make any sense. and so there was one guy from the center party who said, okay, since we cannot get these foreign workers, maybe we should uh, hire Finnish people to, to do this. And Ohisalo retweeted that and she phrased the, her tweet uh, and she said, okay, we will look into hiring people that are already in Finland. So, so not Finnish people, but people who already are in Finland. 
Well, yeah, she can't say Finnish people yeah, because yeah. that raises questions that are difficult for her, such as what is a Finnish person and all. Yeah, and that's not of... what she was talking about. Uh, that's, that's not who cool. she wants to employ. She wants to employ uh, people who are already in Finland, but meaning imagine, foreigners imagine, who are already here. Imagine the ideology of this woman. I mean, if we talk about these spiteful mutants that I mentioned earlier, that they literally prefer, so they prefer other people to their own people. Imagine preferring another family to your own family, loving another family more than your own family, acting in that other family's genetic interest over your own families, and then taking this to what uh, ethnic groups are, which is extended genetic families. We know that from data by Frank Salter and people like that. We, they are they are extended genetic families. That's what ethnic groups are. And she is basically saying she prefers the interests and the benefits of other ethnic groups over her own. Now, in general, that is a totally maladaptive way of operating. And a group that has too many people or even a small minority of people that see things like that will be destroyed by, uh, in the battle of group selection and war and whatever by a group that is that is more ethnocentric. With the caveat that being high in openness and being interested in new things and being interested in foreign things, if you've got a very small minority who are like that, then that might incentivize those people to trade. It might incentivize those people to go abroad and get involved in empires and run empires and things like that for the ultimate benefit of their own ethnic group. And of course, if you look at the British Empire, you get lots of people like that that have done that. You'd get these British soldiers that the East India Company in the 18th century that would go to parts of India and they'd marry a Muslim woman and they'd adopt Muslim clothes and convert to Islam and, and whatever. And But ultimately they were they were expanding the British Empire, which was ultimately in the interests of their own ethnic group of all British people. And that's the thing, that's, that's the balance that's gone wrong. We've been under, another thing that happened with the Industrial Revolution and whatever, is we used to have this group selection, these battles, these wars between different ethnic groups over resources. And now that we're all rich, uh, those don't happen. So we're not under group selection anymore. So there isn't this battle between different groups, which ensures that the the balance of different kinds of people within the group is optimum. And so we've gone from a situation where it would be useful to have a very small, tiny number of people that are a bit like that, a bit like her, that are pro-foreigner, because it aids uh, trade, it aids getting on with foreigners and trading with them and whatever, and, and, and development and uh, building an empire, to having people that are A, far too like that, B, like that, when even at the detriment of the interests of their own people, um, uh, and, and C, there's just too many of them. So, yeah, in that sense, I'd say that Maria Ohisala is the clear example of a spiteful mutant. She's also noticeably physically unattractive compared to the other uh, young Spice Girls, so, um, which would be germane to her, um, because, of course, you'd expect a, a maladaptation of the body to correlate maladaptation of the mind. But, um, yeah, it's the, the, she's a dreadful, dreadful woman. And uh, she's an interesting case because... Even in that bunch, you can tell that she is the fanatic and you can tell when the government is uh, uh, having, let's say, a press event, you can tell that she's on bad terms with the rest of them, that the rest of the women seem to get along fine, but uh, Ohisalo is the odd one out and, and the other ones seem very annoyed with her. and. Uh, she has this history of uh, doing bizarre stunts and say saying bizarre things that are very awkward for the government. Uh, for example, uh, with the migrant situation at the Greek border, uh, when even the EU elite said that they support Greece in uh, uh, 
closing their borders and keeping the people out. And that's when Maria Ohisalo said that the Finnish, Finnish border guards should go to Greece and help these migrants cross the border. Well, I mean, it, it makes sense in a number of ways. First of all, I would argue that the Green Party are the, just the nastiest, most maladaptive, most spiteful mutant political party in this country. I mean, even with the far left, even with the, this Lee Anderson's party, the Vassimist Alito, at least there's a degree to which they, they're kind of in favour of helping the Finnish worker, at least to some extent. Whereas the Green Party is utterly multiculturalist and pro all of this nutty stuff, feminism and, and multiculturalism and environmentalism and all of these, this, this, this death cult of destroying are their own genetic interests. That is the very essence of the Green Party. So I think they're very nasty people and you'd expect them to elect a very nasty person as their leader and so and a person who was basically sick. So uh, so that, that makes sense to me completely. Secondly, with reference to her not getting on with the other women, I mean, she's the ugly one, isn't she? So, so obviously you've got these three not unattractive women that, and then you've got her. She's like the ugly Spice Girl. She's like uh, Sporty Spice. So, so well, I mean, from her height, she's Baby Spice, but she's not really got the personality of Baby Spice. She's Sporty Spice. She's Sporty Spice, the ugly one. And and so you'd expect them to, to her to not get on with them, and for her for her to then have to deal with this problem in a kind of Napoleon complex sort of way by being over the top. But yeah, I just think she's unstable. She seems to be, from what I've read about her, to be an unstable individual. And uh, so, it's what is her job in the government? What is her position? What is her? Uh, she's the Minister of uh, Interior, so she's... She's the Home uh, Secretary. She's the middle one. Oh, that's terrible. So that's quite a senior post. Yeah. Um, um, oh, it's very, very... So dangerous. she controls the police, the borders and everything. And She controls all these things that she's against, She's in favour of destroying, basically. Yes, exactly. It's absolutely appalling that, that, that she was appointed to that position. I don't know what... The, they were thinking so so yeah she's I mean, she's obviously terrible and it, it's just a side i'm writing a book at the moment i i i don't know published probably later this year called which is feminism and the fall of the west in which i look at this cali you and in the decline of all civilizations you see the rise of women always in the decline of rome in the decline of greece in the decline even of baghdad even towards the end of baghdad but it was in decline there were female lawyers there were female judges there were female all the the, 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 the patriarchy religion promotes patriarchy because why because what does patriarchy do patriarchy Males can be sure that their offspring are theirs. This reduces intermale violence. It makes the males cooperate with each other because the intermale violence is reduced. Therefore, they become more ethnocentric. And in the battle of group selection, the more ethnocentric group always dominates, according to computer models. So patriarchy, which is underpinned by religiousness as being the will of God, um, always ensures that the group will optimally battle against other groups and optimally survive. And therefore, when selection pressures weaken and selection for religiousness weakens, then patriarch patriarchy starts to fall apart and that's when you know that the society is in decline because when patriarchy falls and ethnocentrism falls and when ethnocentrism falls then you start to get invaded by other countries and this is always the process um and the fact that this country was taken over by these by the spice girls uh, and not just women i mean it's, i'm not saying it, but there are some brilliant women politicians like mark like mrs thatcher or whatever but you know, the, that they were very young as well young uh, all of them born all of them what how old? none of them are 40 um, is is like some of them under thirty five? Uh, one oh. is uh, older. Uh, the, the Swedish Maya Hen Henriksson is older. She is middle aged, but uh, the rest are thirty to thirty five. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. I think that, uh, that uh, the prime minister is your age, eighty five born. 
and then the others are a bit younger 87 that kind of yeah that's right but the the the, the terrible um the other thing was they promoted it in the international media in the british media as being this side isn't it wonderful feminism the rise of feminism all this and then what you saw was they were only interested in the four young girls they weren't there were all these photographs of the four young ones and particularly of Sana Marin, Marie Kulmuni and uh, Lee Anderson, because they're the pretty ones. So in the, in the British media, there were all these pictures specifically of them and to a lesser extent, Marie Ohisalo. And you just have the other girl, the Henriksen, Maya, whatever, in the background, because you know, nobody wants to see her. So it was they promoted it as being the rise of feminism, but really they were just interested in what they looked like. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, it really was. And it's funny to see this um, <clears throat> thing that the, they, uh, they are, the feminists are, uh, so busy trying to convince everyone that uh, women can uh, govern just like men and women are just as capable as men. But then you keep seeing these very feminine flaws in these women who have a lot of power, like in the uh, Ministry of uh, Social Affairs and Health, they have had uh, a lot of communication issues that even very vital uh, issues like uh, uh, joining the EU deal for ordering uh, coronavirus uh, protective gear uh, with the other EU countries. Uh, the proposition of that deal didn't make it to the Minister of Health because uh, her office uh, has so bad communication problems that nobody bothered to tell the minister that this sort of offer stood. And it was all because they had two women there, two middle-aged women who have this competitive uh, dynamic between them one stole the other one other one's job or at least the other one feels so so they uh, do what they can to sabotage each other's work and they don't communicate even when it's about the uh, vital matters for the country vital matters when it comes to their work and now the entire country is suffering because of these bickering women who have this power oh. dynamic between yeah, them. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read about that. But one thing I would I would note is that what you get at the universities with with female leadership is you get this the the males are extreme at the extremes. When I was on your stream once, we talked about autism because some people accused me of being autistic. And the, uh, what autism is characterized by is being very high in systematizing. You're very interested in systematizing in the truth and understanding the way things are. That's, that's extreme. At the other, you are, you are low in empathy. You are emotion blind. You don't care. You can't deal with emotions. You can't read them. You don't care about them. And at the other extreme, you have the, the person who's high in empathy, and they are system blind. And at the extremes, this guy, uh, Simon Baron Cohen, argues that the extreme male brain is the autistic brain and the extreme female the extreme female brain is the 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 low autism brain the empath empathetic em empathetic brain um and so when women take over you start to get this movement towards the important thing is getting on everyone needs to get along uh, it's important to get you know don't hurt people's feelings and whatever and also rule following women are higher in conscientiousness than men I mean as employees women are going to be better than men because they're going to be more agreeable they're going to be more altruistic they're going to be uh, more rule following whatever sort of head girl types and so that's what I think Santa Marin is she's the head girl she's the head girl we have in English schools the head girl of Finland there was this picture I saw of her the other day putting her hand up and it was like she was saying, Mr. Ninisto, Mr. Ninisto, one of the parasomalized MPs said a racist word. You know, it was like that was what I imagined she was like. And um, she 
so they, they become it becomes about bureaucracy and rule following and box ticking and therefore people don't lead they don't take charge and things kind of are slowed down because no one takes the lead now sometimes of course you get a bunch of men who are pussies and you need a, a woman who's a very masculine woman like mrs thatcher who does take the lead so so sometimes or bodicea or someone like that but but um or it, but, but most of the time it, it, I'm afraid it often doesn't work like that. And so it's a bit of a problem with the, the feminine takeover of academia that therefore you can't, the truth is suppressed because what if truth hurts your feelings? What if truth hurts someone's feelings? If people hide empathy, then everyone getting along, that's more important than systematizing. And that's more important than reaching the truth. And so I suspect this would be a problem with a government like that. Although we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, to what extent are the Spice Girls really running the country? Is, is President Ninisto really so unpatriotic that he would allow this, the Spice Girls to run the country? I don't think so. I think he's running it, really. I, I like to think. Yeah, the problem is that uh, uh, Ninisto, of course, has uh, tried to intervene the best he can. But uh, with the president having a very limited power in Finland, there is so only so much he can do. And uh, Sanna Marin is uh, the prime minister. She's very careful not to share the spotlight with anyone when it comes to uh, handling this coronavirus issue that it's very clear that she has a lot of neuroses and complexes uh, about uh, insecurity and about being a young woman and she feels the need to overcompensate so so that leads to her being unable to accept help or ask help even when she needs it and that is a horrifying idea because uh, as you mentioned she's a woman of my age if i was a prime minister right now i would be horrified of the responsibility but these women they seem completely cool with it even though even if they keep making horrible mistakes they always seem uh, very cool with it and they never seem to understand that they might need help or accept that idea so i think that is the most horrifying thing about them that they are so unwilling to uh, accept help especially from men Yes, and, and what if their menses coordinated? I mean, think of the disaster that could cause. <laughs> um, but, but, but I think I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you do get situations where the prime minister, the person running the country, is not really the person running the country, and that's that often happens when you have a weak prime minister who's got in for the wrong reasons. I mean, I think it's quite obvious that these girls were elected leaders of their parties because they were young girls not because they were necessarily the most competent people, but because people, lots of people, women voted for them or lots of men who are very woke and left-wing voted for them to feel better about themselves and feel they voted for a young girl. They, they weren't voting for the right sort of reasons. And so I wonder if if they're really running things and what's happening behind the scenes. There have been many cases in British history, of the, or indeed in your own history with Kekkonen when he was old, that in theory he was running the show, but in practice somebody else was was running the show. So I don't know to what extent there. The other thing I noticed is that with Mrs. Thatcher, when she started her career and she was leader of the when she was leader of the opposition, she spoke kind of up here like this. Up here, she'd been she'd been taught to speak up here like this. You know, the right idea up here, up here, how ladies spoke in those days if they were trying to be sort of upper class. Up here like this, you know. And then as we got in, as she gets older, she gets trained to speak down here like this. And the right honourable gentleman will know the blah, blah, blah. And one of the things I noticed was that this, your prime minister has a very deep voice for a woman. And I wonder if that's put on. I wonder if she's, if she knows that she's, if she's got a high pitched voice and she knows no one's going to take her seriously. And so she's sort of decided to adopt what is an extraordinarily deep voice for a lady.
Do we know about that? <clears throat> Uh, actually, I think uh, very much of her is a sort of facade because if you, for example, read her old old tweets from the time before she was uh, pri the prime minister, they are uh, they they don't even seem like they are coming from the same person. Like in her old tweets, she, it's very obvious what sort of person we are dealing with. That is, we are dealing with a, a sort of fanatic uh, liberal feminist. Uh, who has this uh, sort of all-powerful uh, feminist outlook on life and who clearly disdains uh, white men and especially white right-wing conservative men's men. But uh, then when she became the prime minister, her image became very controlled. She started dressing very differently that now you the only when you see her, she's always very impeccably and dressed in a very grown-up way that she dresses like a prime minister. She used to dress in a much more laid back way that you were able to see her wearing like teen, uh, jeans and sneakers and things like that. And she only tweets basically like these official statements that come from her office. So it's very clear that her image is very controlled and we, we don't really see what she is like as a person. That I would look at those tweets from like maybe two or three years back to see what she's actually yeah. like. Yeah, she so would. Your, she would so tweet. Your, she would tweet uh, stuff like, uh, "Yeah, we should uh, remove citizenship from people that move abroad, uh, and uh, when, to avoid taxes." Yeah. So, and when confronted, she said, "Oh, I was just trolling the the, the, the right uh, right wing." That was no, her previous that's tweet. A very, that's a very mature thing to do to troll the right wing. Yeah, she seems terribly mature. Someone in your chat just said that you can't buy my book in Finnish. I thought we were here to, because I you can buy it in Finnish. Look, here it is. You can buy it in Finnish. There you go. Uh, you can where, buy the book. Um, anyway, um, yes. So, yeah, it's, it's they are very, very mature. One of the things that you said about the, the, the other women in the government not like not getting on with this Ohi Salo woman, I noticed that, that she that she wears they they dress up in this uniforms or they used to not, not so much now but they they dressed in this kind of black you know very somber uniform when they did their briefings about corona and they kind of all dressed the same like in black basically and she deviate from it she'd wear something individual and strange so so that was another way in which she, she seems to not uh, not get on with them well, there, there was one super chat from Lemmu and he says, uh, hello, hello, hello. Which one of the Finnish Spice Girls do you prefer? I think um, I imagine I, I would, if I had to go out for lunch with one of them, I, I would probably find Katri Kulmuni the least annoying. So I'll, I'll go for Katri. And also she speaks very good English. So that, that, that would, she speaks English with a funny Yorkshire accent she seems to have picked up from somewhere. So, so uh, I, I'd like to probe her more on that, on how, where this accent has come from. It's always funny when you meet a, a foreigner who's learned English as a foreign language and they speak it in a, in a specific regional way. Like I was once in Kos, in a, at, a, at a restaurant in Kos, and there was this Greek guy, and he spoke English. He was, I've, have you got a table? Oh, I've got a table. Yeah, come over here, sit you down. I've got a table for you. And I was like, bloody hell, what? Have, you, have, you, have you lived in, like, Lank, in like, Yorkshire or something? He's like, no, but I watch Everdale Farm. And 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 uh, and so and that's what she said was the case with her that she used to watch this TV program Emmerdale when she was a child, which is set in Yorkshire. And so she's she hasn't just picked that up; she's picked up Australian and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I think I'd go for Katri Kulmuni. Yeah, enough. which one would you go for, Eunice? Uh, which one would you like to go for lunch with? Uh, 
none of them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is a bit of a difficult choice. Um, uh, but uh, I don't know. I would say probably uh, Lee Anderson because. Uh, Gulmuni is a bimbo. She's a front woman, very uh, clearly, that she doesn't make any decisions. Uh, she just uh, reads the statements that her party's leadership, uh, like the party government, has written for her. That uh, she's just uh, there as uh, like the front woman, but she doesn't really de decide about anything herself, and there isn't really much moving between her ears, I think. And uh, Sanna Marina, I think. Uh, that fakeness about her is uh, pretty unbearable. And Ohisalo, of course, is a fanatic. Uh, Henriksson anno annoys me just with her looks, with that bizarre overbite she has that makes her teeth look very, <laughs> very unpleasant. And, also, but, she's Swedish. Yeah, and, and she speaks Swedish. But uh, I think uh, uh, Lee Anderson might be uh, the one I would be closest to because, uh, uh, like me, she's a sort of a radical ideology, ideologue, uh, even though she's on the opposite side of it. Oh, okay. You could, you could be, you could be right about that. Yeah. Although to be fair, it would, would be good to go for go for dinner with Sadamari and then get her drunk, and then get behind the facade. <laughs> that, that would also be that would also be good. So I'd also I'd also do that. And you... yeah, it was sorry. Uh, yeah, you mentioned accents, and there was one uh, super chat that uh, was uh, related to this, maybe. And uh, Knatterton asks, why didn't Brexit get so much support in Scotland and Northern Ireland when compared to England and Wales? Uh, are, they, question for me. are they less uh, critical to, towards? Oh well, yeah, because in, in Northern Ireland, a lot of people in. It's it's felt that there's this Good Friday Agreement whereby there's this permanent relationship between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. There's absolutely no border at all between that, therefore, between the two countries. And it's felt that this is what kind of keeps the Republicans in Northern Ireland, the IRA type people, basically, it keeps them happy that there's this there's this treaty whereby, yeah, Northern Ireland's part of Britain and the Republic of Ireland is separate, but there's no border at all between the two countries and you can pass back and forth between the two. There's not even signposts saying welcome to the Republic of Ireland. There's nothing. You only know you've crossed the border because you get a, a bleep on your phone saying, OK, you've got a new phone network. So that, that, so it's felt that kind of held things together and stopped the violence. And there's concern that if we leave the EU, there'll be a border and consequently there'll be the violence will come back. So, and also a lot of people have relations on both sides of the border. So that's with them. And as for the Scots, I think the Scots just want to do the opposite of the English. So the Scots as a people are, are kind of sort of whatever the English want to do, they see themselves as, as sort of better than the English and they're the kind of virtue signal. If, if English people are conservative, Scottish people will be left wing. And the attitude of the Scots was that, well, the English people want to be want to be want us to leave the EU. So we want to do the opposite. I think there's a bloody mindedness to it with, with the Scots. And also that if you go into log into history, it's often been that the Scots have been allied with the Europeans against us, including in wars. So there's a feeling among the Scots of being more European than, than we English feel. So I think that's that, that, that there's two reasons perhaps why. And Olunardo says that he tried to order your book, uh, but uh, Amazon UK doesn't ship to Finland. The, the Finnish it does, version. I have, it does. I've, I've just had a little of a, a copy shipped to Finland. Yeah. So uh, Olunardo, maybe he can uh, uh, send us a DM or, or some uh, email or something, and we'll uh, check what's uh, wrong with that. Yeah. 
But, uh, it, absolutely, it absolutely ships, ships to Finland. Yeah, and about that uh, book of yours, um, uh, in the very beginning you have a quote from uh, a commentary from uh, people who have read it or people who are commenting your works otherwise. And there is, for example, comments from Kevin MacDonald. And there's one comment that caught my eye and it's from a Finnish blog called uh, Anthropology, which is a blog, uh, I think, uh, written by anthropology students from university. And their criticism of your work was mainly that uh, uh, your, your, your research uh, is uh, pseudoscience and invalid because you uh, sort of validate racism. Yes, it's a moral argument. As we were talking about earlier, these moral truths. So the attitude of these people is that, and I look at this in more detail in the new chapter I added to the book, the finished version of the book, is that they are these moral truths and they trump empirical truths. So if, you, you, if something's empirically true, it's like the attitude of the Roman Catholic Church. What Galileo said, it's fine, you can say what you like about the world, you can do your science and you can present your empirical truths. In, up until they questioned the, the moral truths, the revealed truths of the church. And then that trumps your truth. And even if all the evidence, empirical evidence is in favor of your truth, it must be wrong because it challenges this dogma. And so their attitude is that there's this thing, racism. And if something, if, a, if an empirical fact that's been demonstrated in the normal way can be demonstrated to be a racist fact, a hate fact, if you will, then it is ipso facto no longer a fact and does not deserve the honor of factness. And that's that's kind of how they see things. Um, they, 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 with, with everything as well, even with something like scientific peer review. So normally you have this idea, you submit an article to an academic journal, it's read by two or three other scientists who are anonymous and they say, okay, I think this is quite good and you can publish this, do this, do this, do this, and then you can publish it. That's how peer review works. Now, if something gets through peer review and it challenges the dogmas of the multicultural church, then they start writing these. It's not that, oh, well, maybe our dogmas are empirically wrong. It's, well, it's a failure of peer review. It's, it's past peer review, but it hasn't passed queer review. And you know, queer review would say, would say that it's, uh, it's, it's wrong, and it's, it's offensive and therefore empirically wrong. And that's how they see the world, these stupid bastards. Um, and the 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 Olu University is so stroppy about it. You know, I have this docenti there, this honorary position there that's for life, and it's like a qualification. And they've removed me from the website because because they can't get rid of they can't remove the position. It's not possible in Finnish law. But they've removed my name from their list of docents on the website. And this was done with somebody else as well. There was this guy called Backman or something who was a docenti in Helsinki, and he said it was controversial. He writes about Russia or something, and and they did the same thing there. So they're, they're absolute cowards, these people, and and they and they're losing and they hate being confronted with a person who's they also make out it's pseudoscience or that it hasn't been peer-reviewed it has been peer-reviewed the book's got it draws upon research that's been peer-reviewed and the manuscript was read by two scientists so you know there's, there's nothing they can do other than just these 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 insinuations of immorality and that's basically what they said they said something like um that the research that I do is dangerous. I think that's what they said. I think I think I'm right in saying that's what they said. It's it's dangerous. It it it, uh, it, it helps racism and therefore it's it's somehow dangerous to people. Puhe monikulturisuusesta ukana threatens to demonize 
demonize people. They said my research threatens to demonize people. There we go. So, so, so we are. It's they're, they're, they're just these spiteful people. As I said at the end of the book, these people that have taken over your country are every bit as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than the people that were trying to take over your country in, in February 1918. They are the literal ideological descendants of those people. And indeed, those people, at a time when all Finnish government ministers were men, the Red government had two female ministers. So you can see the, the ancestors of what's of what's going on, what's going on now. Um, and, and so, yeah, they're, they're just they're dangerous people. They're dangerous people, these multiculturalists, and they want to do Finland harm. And they're doing it a great deal of harm. Uh, how can we change this? Uh, is there a way uh, to change well, this? Well, I, I think it's part of a general process whereby but i do look at this in the book um i think it will naturally change because these people the, the two things that predict having children are being religious uh, which is associated anyway with being ethnocentric and right wing um and literally being right wing so literally being conservative and indeed um, extreme conservative predict independent of religiousness predicts having children so these people are more likely to have children they're breeding Um, whereas these leftists, they literally, they have a death cult ideology, they have a maladaptive ideology, and they follow that, at least they're consistent. They tend, to, a lot of them, to follow that ideology. They tend not to have children. They tend not to breed. Um, and so I think that, that that is one reason why the situation will change. The second reason is that we know from research by Robert Putnam and whatever, is that once you get multiculturalism, you get war. Multiculturalism almost inevitably leads to war and social breakdown, and that leads to heightened stress. And when people are more stressed, they're more instinctive, they're more religious, and they're more ethnocentric. And so, what I would predict would happen is that eventually there'll be a there'll be a backlash against this, and um, that backlash will be stronger the more extreme and bad the situation gets. And so, what I would think would happen is that if there, if and I think there's some evidence that there probably will be, but there is a substantial backlash against this. You'll have what you had in Finland before, i.e., you were nationalist and you very quickly flipped from being nationalist to being multiculturalist due to this high level of conformism and this trusting of the leaders and this um, uh, lack of people that rock the boat to inspire you not to conform and all this. That will work the other way. So once you get once you get people once you get the movement from from multiculturalism back to, to more nationalistic thing, then that will work the other way. It will happen very quickly um, uh, if it happens in Finland, much more quickly than it will happen in other countries. And so that's what I think could potentially uh, occur for those two reasons. But it it will get worse before it gets better. And But, it, yeah, yeah, go on. No, no. Yeah, they're just at that. Uh, it's interesting how quickly uh, the multiculturalism uh, basically took over all significant institutions in Finland. Uh, it was sort of like a domino effect that you talk about in your book about, uh, uh, for example, how the church became multiculturalist, even though even in the 1990s, even talking about female priests, which, which are completely normal these days, uh, was uh, very controversial. And now uh, the same church uh, is offering Muslims their churches to use for Islamic, uh, what what sort of prayers or masses they hold. And uh, 
uh, the, the, they have female bishops and uh, they promote homosexuality and gay marriage and uh, all of these and and all of these institutions that uh, it's not just government but organizations and the business world and the church they all fell down one after one Yes, exactly the same thing happened in England, of course, but it, it happened more slowly. But there was there was a definite turning point, which was 1997, when the Labour Party um, gained gained power with a massive majority, and then they really they went for the institutions. It was this Gramscian thing. But yeah, as I as I predicted, as I argued in the book, with the, the nature of the Finns, that there's this conformism and whatever, and this lack of people that rock the boat. That, that you, you get some of them like Baker Venemo or whatever, but the, 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 relatively few. And so and so, therefore, it, it's just swept through with such speed. I remember in 2006 having a conversation with a female priest in Oulu, who basically said, young woman, who basically said there are no gays in Oulu really. And if you were gay, then why would you want to be here? Gays go to Helsinki. That's where gays live. You don't get gays in other parts of Finland. You get gays in Helsinki. Gays, gays go to Helsinki. Helsinki's gay. Another I, I, The change from that to now. Uh, Sorry, yes. Yeah, another uh, good example, I think, of conformity is uh, now that we have this left green government and they have closed the borders, uh, everybody's fine with that. Uh, even though they, before the corona thing they they were open border activists now that these left greens are putting are closing yeah. or have closed the border uh, everybody's fine but imagine it was uh, the peru suomalaiset who yes. had closed the borders they would be rioting uh, well that's the in group out group dynamic so you judge members of your in group by different standards from members of your out group and as far as they're concerned and you get this in the uk with the discussion of race and so your people that have sort of left-wing credentials basically people that they trust to be part of their religious group one of them a true believer a person that believes in the in these moral truths a, a person who's if you like doing it for the right reasons whose heart's in the right place who believes in the god of in the baby jesus of equality um they're allowed to get away with these things also even they're also allowed to get away with these things if they're part of a, a group which is protected under the equality cult such as blacks or gays or whatever in a hierarchy of how protected that group is and so obviously if they're a, a, a black disabled lesbian then they're really allowed to get away with it and say whatever they like and so they're, they're given a kind of free pass to to criticize them which is why sometimes on the right you'll get them You'll, you'll get them this fascinating situation with racism is bad in the UK and for you to say it works the other way so they will they will not accuse people on their own side of doing of, of doing things that are racist whereas if an enemy did it they would accuse them of that because the person who is on their own side they trust their hearts in the right place they're doing it for the right reasons they believe in equality and they they really don't want to do this but they have to do this whereas if the parasormalized person doesn't they're doing it because they want to do it and they're bad and they're evil and just ah and they're not one of us and we can't trust them they might do more bad things and more evil things everything might fall apart and just Bleh! so so that's 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 them but you get it the other way around as well so um if you are um uh, it's, not, it's not allowed in england if you were to say oh, a person who's from india whose family whose parents are from india is not ethnically english and they're not really english and they should go back to their own country well that's terribly racist and bad but if that person is pretty patel and she's the interior minister of britain but she's right wing and she's a conservative therefore she therefore she's bad she's 
she's she's no longer non-white. She sacrificed her non-whiteness by virtue of being right wing. And so it's okay for people to say, yeah, Pretty Patel should go back to her own country. How dare she bring in these policies, anti-immigration? If she'd had these when she was younger, she wouldn't have been able to come here. She should go back to India. That's fine. Because yeah. she's she's that, white adjacent by that, virtue of being right wing. That happens to me also. Uh, I mean, uh, all the racist stuff I receive on Twitter comes from lefties. Uh, so, what, yeah, exactly. That's precisely the, the utter hypocrisy of it. And it's a, it's a way of maintaining i think that's a it's, it's a, and also they are i mean that what shows you is that what I, if, if i meet someone in real life and they're from a different race i just deal with them as i deal with them whereas these people aren't like that they're full of hatred for and the, the main issue is that you disagree with them if you disagree with them if you do not hold to the same religious dogmas that they hold to then you are an infidel and you are bad and you need to be hurt and if the thing they identify that may hurt you is that you are part Moroccan or part black or whatever it happens to be, then it's legitimate to go for that. And that's not racist because racism can only be directed against a human with feelings. And if you don't agree with their dogmas, you're not a human with feelings. You're a manifestation of Satan. So I, I, that's what, that's why I think, so therefore you don't have feelings. You're just vile and anything, anything goes. Chop your head off, cut your throat. Um, and that's what we're dealing with these people. They are a fanatical latter-day religious death cult. They are utterly dangerous. They are utterly dangerous to all of us, to our children, to our future, to our interests, and they need to be totally purged from the pot. A good example, speaking of the word purge, is this degenerate, this, this novelist you have in Finland, what's her name? This uh, uh, so, um, Sophie Oxenen. Have yeah. you read her yeah. stuff? No, I just, haven't read her books, but I know her. Her book is called oh. The Cleansing, I think, and... Uh, the purge it's called the putistus the purge yeah well um, but, yeah. It, it's 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 just awful it's just basically filling people's minds with nasty unpleasant images of abuse and rape and it's just horrific and and she's the major writer here for, for our foreign viewers non non based in Finland viewers terrible but terrible woman she, um degenerate woman yeah she so needs, yeah so i, I think she needs yeah. herself a cleansing because you know her makeup. Yes, yeah, indeed, indeed, she does. And if you if you look at yeah, everything she's she's bisexual. That's another thing. Bisexuality uh, is a, a correlate, a major correlate of psychopathic personality. Not homosexuality, but bisexuality. Um, but 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 which she claims to be. But yeah, it's 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 very very dangerous situation. But as I say, I do think there is hope because I mean, there's already you're seeing movements against what's happening, things like Brexit, things like Trump, um, what some of the attitudes that, that the coronavirus thing has thrown up. Um, and I think that w once the chaos becomes uh, more severe, I mean, then you, you do tend to get a backlash in these kinds of situations. Uh, and also, as I say, the, the people, there is a strong genetic component to the worldview you have, about 0.6. Um, and these people just don't, they don't pass on their genes. And so this would imply it would be a passing phase, a bad phase, as you say, a Kali Yuga, uh, just a, a total collapse of all traditional order. There's, there's one Tanazi that's, 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 that says, uh, oops, there's an echo. Where does that come from? Uh, yeah, one Tanazi says, as a researcher myself, I just love Edward. Facts don't lie. Facts don't care about opinions. That's it. Uh, Tina, go on. Uh, 
yeah, about the, uh, uh, what we were talking about before, I lost my train of thought there for a moment. One thing that I have noticed about this racist abuse that uh, <clears throat> the leftists uh, throw at uh, people like Pretty Patel or Younes is that they seem to be really elated when they get to throw these racist slurs around like like they have been bottling them up inside inside them for so long being in those politically correct liberal circles and then when they finally find their moment that this is my moment to, uh, uh, to call someone a rackhead without it being like a something that will lead them to be socially ostracized by their friends. They, they are so excited about it. I, I, it's very strange to see how elated they are when they get to say something racist. Like, it has clearly been like bottled up in, inside of them. It's a very good point, yes, because it's, it's a very, very natural human thing that we are evolved, essentially. We are evolved to prefer genetic similarity, to prefer people that are genetically similar to us. And we are equally evolved to prefer people that are the same ethnic group as us. There was research in America, I, I, I may have got the statistic wrong, which, fa which found that um, inter-ethnic, so, so um, intra-ethnic marriages, so marriages that are between two people of the same race in the USA, happen 40 times more, uh, more commonly than could possibly be the case by chance. And this shows you that people that people select and sort along, uh, there's variations in, in the population and differences and whatever, but they sort along ethnic lines. Now, if we distinguish between the mutants, the real weirdos who just love foreigners and whatever, although I mean, they would hate Eunice because Eunice is challenging their dogmas and challenging their worldview and whatever, but they wouldn't, they would perhaps just genuinely not have feelings of racism uh, and those and, the, and those that have adopted this ideology because they've been kind of inculcated with it I, I, I call them, we call them spiteful mutants because they they um, inculcate other people not just themselves to express their genes maladaptively and behave in maladaptive ways so those kinds of people the kinds of people that do degrees in in uh, uh, education and globalization at the University of Olu you know those kinds of people and they they they've, they've persuaded themselves that it's in the their social interests to be left-wing and to be anti-racist and whatever and they don't really they don't deep down they have these feelings of racism and sexism and whatever but they they, they suppress them in order to conform uh, in order to get the social benefits of what of, of conformity in order to persuade themselves that they're important and they're doing the right thing and they're on the winning side and all of these social benefits you get but deep down they're still going to have these feelings which they're going to have to sort of self-police like a like winston smith from 1984 and so it would be like a bit like a person who's homosexual being forced to repress their sexuality uh, for social reasons in order to get on in life in, in, in 60 or 70 years ago. And think of the sense of joy and elation they would feel when they could finally, you know, snog another bloke or, or, or les up or whatever. And I imagine that's what they feel. They, they have these feelings of hatred towards foreigners, which they police in their heads. And, and they can, they can, they, but with Eunice, it's, a, it's an acceptable target uh, to go for with these feelings because he has betrayed his foreignness because he's trying to not allow the destruction of Finland. Um, and so you can see why they'd be absolutely overjoyed at it. So, yeah. And also, as we discussed earlier, he's a hipster and they might not like him for that reason as well. Mm, <laughs> now, now that uh, now, now they, they always say that you, I should go back uh, like uh, 
but I, I, I just say that uh, the left green government closed the border, so I cannot, uh, I cannot leave. <laughs> so that's, no, you uh, can't. You can't. And they closed off. Another thing they did was they closed off Helsinki. They closed off the most degenerate leftist part of the country. So, so that was also that was also an interesting. It's them that did that. They they stopped people from going into uh, uh, Newland, uh, Uzima. So yeah, but maybe Yunus, maybe you should take advantage of it because you know there's that councillor in Olu that's really fat and dresses like a monk. Mm, yeah, I know him. Yeah. Uh, um, so maybe you should dress in like full-on Muslim gear. Maybe, maybe that would maybe that would uh, dissuade them from from this kind. They 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 they'd be psychologically torn. They wouldn't know what to do. So maybe you should go for that. He dressed like a monk, and you dressed like a like a literally a towel head. You, you should have been uh, at our uh, previous hate speech court uh, trial. It was in uh, uh, January. I was on a trial because I had subtitled uh, a video. And I I just trolled uh, the prosecutor and the judge. They were both women. And before we even started, I said, uh, hey, you are both women. I don't want to see you. Uh, I, I want a ma male prosecutor. I want a male judge. And I said, Islam is right about women and uh, everything. And they were like, they didn't know what to say. They were, uh, the prosecutor hates me, I, I believe now. But uh, yeah, it's these idiots, uh, it's just fun to troll them uh, with the most, uh, it's like on Twitter. When you, when you are in court, next month, this Monday, I will be interrogated by the police because of my speech against the grooming gangs. Where was that speech take place? Where? Uh, in the city council. Uh, you haven't got freedom of speech there, no? Uh, no, no. Finland is a uh, communistic country. In, in Parliament. I think it's only in Parliament, though. In Parliament, uh, you can say what you like. There's no speech laws in the British Parliament. Well, in, um, the, in the Finnish Parliament, uh, there is a uh, thing that if, uh, if five-sixths of the, the other deputies want to... Uh, uh, raise charges against you it is possible but the, and there's one case currently in finland oh oh is that oh, oh yeah okay. yeah but um, uh, since uh, it's a member of the finnish party and the uh, finns have more than a sixth of the parliament so they will be able to block uh, or they were able to block this prosecution uh, with uh, with the vote in the parliament but it, but it is ridiculous that even in politics you are not allowed to <clears throat> or at the political podium you are not allowed to uh, say whatever you want to say about these issues and uh, that's actually something I wanted to ask you about because uh, right now we have sort of two uh, different uh, the same situation at two different phases with Rotherham and with Olu that in all of these uh, grooming uh, gangs uh, crimes that they are sort of fresh still it's not that many years uh, when uh, they, uh, the first crime started happening and uh, still uh, even now, uh, the crimes have been sort of forgotten, that they are not newsworthy anymore in the way that they used to be. And uh, in Rotherham, uh, they are talking about decades of this abuse, and uh, still the same situation is ongoing. And when this uh, news of the grooming gangs in Finland first uh, broke, 
I said that I fear that this will happen. We, uh, the same thing will happen to us that happened to other European countries. That the first crimes will be the newsworthy ones. They will be the shocking ones. But from them, then on, people will grow numb to them, and they will they will stop caring about them, and the crimes will stop being newsworthy because people have grown used to them. So what what is there that we can actually do so that we won't be in thirty years where Rotherham is now? Well, it's a little bit different because I get the impression that with Finland, it came to light fairly quickly. I, I, you, you had it. There was basically nothing 15, you know, 15 years ago or so. There was this case of this girl that was in her mid-20s, clitoris they cut off with a pair of scissors, you know, uh, and that was a massive scandal. Then there were a series of rapes. As obviously, as I said, that's what refugees will... Uh, we, we were in their situation. There's a degree to which, although there, there are uh, genetic reasons why there would be differences, but there's a degree to which it might be similar, not exactly the same, but comparable. Um, and so, whereas with Rotherham, it was going on for a very long time, uh, all through, you know, through the 90s and early 2000s, and it wasn't until the, the late 2000s it came to light. And indeed, it's been suggested that this stuff might have been going on in Britain since the 50s. I mean, since the arrival of Muslims in the country in the 50s. And I, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, this terrible TV series called Call the Midwife. It's, have you seen it? It's on Finnish TV on Saturdays, I think. It's, a, it's about these nurses who are a, a Anglican, the Church of England nuns in the east end of London. Mm. No, yeah. Oh, well, don't watch it. It's terrible. But anyway, um, it's with this incredibly tall woman called Miranda Hart. It's an actress in it. Anyway, um, she's about two metres tall, a bit less. But anyway, um, the, the memoir that that was based on, that they've developed it and gone off and written their own scripts. But originally, the early episodes were based on this memoir. And, and he commented that this was what was going on. And particularly, you'd get these Irish girls, these poor Irish girls who were teenagers, who would come over to... To, uh, to London, and they would be basically uh, groomed by these Muslim chaps in London, and that was what went on. So it's been going on a very, very long time, whereas you've, you've been having it for a very small period of time. And, with Rotherham, and, it was, and you had this political muscle attempting to suppress it in Rotherham, and you had at the time of the Blair government and this extreme multicultural insanity, uh, and so it was suppressed because people dared be accused of being racist. But it's come to light here much more quickly. So I don't think it's a direct comparison. I think it's a more healthy situation in a way that you're in, that it's come to light almost immediately upon it happening, because it started happening when the society was still less inculcated with these degenerate values. There was still a generation alive that was, that was um, I mean, like that was more nationalistic and that was more conservative. And that generation is the generation born in, let's say, the 50s. And those people are still significant in this country. Um, and so, and so, I'm not sure it's a direct a comparison. I think you've you've got you've it's happened to you at an uh, at a different stage in the cycle of of multiculturalism. Yeah, times are, yeah, times are, are, are different. You would think that in the 50s, if uh, something like that happened, they would the the perpetrators would uh, would be dealt dealt with by the population, not by the courts. Uh, whereas now in that's the... true, but also on the other hand, the, the difference then is that it was socially unacceptable to fraternize freely with any member of the opposite sex, at all. Yeah. yeah so so uh, them, the thing was difference. that it was their fault that they. It was kind of their fault because if they were, if they that was how it was considered. Because if they were a respectable kind of girl, they simply wouldn't be alone with a male who wasn't their relative. 
Mm. Uh, they wouldn't be. You'd be chaperoned, even on dates. Yeah, so, <clears throat> and uh, uh, one thing also what uh, uh, bothers me about this situation is that even though uh, people like Sipila uh, uh, or Angela Merkel have brought these sort of problems <clears throat> uh, in Europe, and in their own neighborhoods, people still keep voting for them. And you have people who vote for the Greens. And as you said, uh, they are the most destructive party, that they don't really offer anything for the Finnish voter, but still they have around 10% support uh, among the public. So what is it? Why do people keep voting for these people, well, even they though offer, they... If they are a genuine mutant, then they offer a party which whose policy is to bring about the destruction of Finland, the destruction of Europe and the destruction of humanity. And that's what they want. And if they are part of these people that have been inculcated with the importance of, of multiculturalism and these maladaptive values, even though they're genetically medically normal, then it gives them a way of feeling that their life has meaning, that, that feel, feeling that, that they are contributing to something fundamentally good. They are basically part of a religion. They are um, the, the religion of these ideas, of the values of equality. And they can kind of feel that by doing this, I've done something important. I've done something towards the, the greater glory of the anti-God. And so you, that you can see how they'd be incentivized in that way. It, it would make them feel that they were moral and superior to have done that and to tell other people that they've done so. So it's, it's not that it offers Finland anything. It doesn't offer Finland anything. It offers, these people are mad, and it offers the, if they have any kind of, if they have children, if they have nephews and nieces, if they have anybody that has any interests in safety, then what they're doing is insane. But on a purely selfish level, I think it allows them to feel good about themselves. It allows them to feel, oh, I've done the right thing. I, I'm, I'm on the right side of history and I'm more so than other people, other people that are more rational and balance things up and think, oh, well, there's, yes, I, I like that, but I'd also like this practical thing. They're utterly impractical. They're dreamers. And they just feel that, well, by doing this, I'm a good, I'm a good, good person. And of course, they're not a good, good person. The, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and their good intentions is literally is taking Finland to hell. But I think that's why they why they do so. Yeah, and since those parties are completely open border, they fear that if they say something normal, the media will uh, yeah. uh, attack them, and then they will lose their uh, job. And uh, that's uh, that's maybe one uh, one explanation. Well, that doesn't explain how they vote because I mean, voting is is secret, or at least it's supposed to be. But yeah, that, that's that's true. That is an element of speaking out in public. But the, I don't know how much pressure there is on people. Have you has that come to Finland yet? Have there been cases of have there been cases of because in Britain, um, I when Parasormalize started to get started to grow here, and I was saying to people, you know, that you've been in possible jeopardy of your work to to stand as a Parasormalize councillor. And they're like, if it was in Britain, if it was the equivalent British party, even if it was UKIP, and they're like, good God, really. Has that happened here? Have there been cases of True Finns members losing their jobs because they're members of True Finns? Um, no, I don't think I've heard of um, uh, that sort of cases with the Finns party, but uh, of course with uh, more radical nationalists you hear about it all the time, uh, that people are being harassed and their employers are being harassed. Uh, but I think uh, the Finns party, especially now that it has grown to be bigger, uh, it has sort of... Uh, 
an established role in the political field. So I don't think uh, uh, our opponents co consider them, uh, uh, those uh, Finns party members, that sort of uh, enemies as they consider uh, radicals like our, us. And of course, it's also that the Finns party uh, councillors, they usually are much more moderate than people like Younes or myself. And they might also rant against ethno-nationalists and they might also rant against homophobes and people who are not accepting of trans individuals. So a lot of them have uh, drunk this uh, uh, liberal Kool-Aid that they sort of want liberalism but with closed borders. So I think uh, the far left is sort of a using their ammo on the more radical ones, not on the Finns party members. Oh, I see. Right, right. Okay. Well, um, I, I, I was, I was, I just thought it was wonderful in Turku that the far left, that thing we were at, consisted of two blokes, a fat girl, and a dog, uh, and that, that was that was the essence of their power. That was that was that was very very satisfying. Yeah, that was. That was in Turku uh, at the Awakening last year, the conference, and uh, actually we ended up in the in the in the extremist report because we uh, we caused trouble in the night uh, by uh, just uh, existing. Well, yes, so, yes, I know. I, I did, but not. I don't talk about that live. But yeah, that that's uh, that's true. It was it was very a very interesting um, experience. It was a very pleasant end to a very pleasant day. <laughs> Uh, to be thrown out of the oh. uh, the police to 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 be, to be called. Yeah, it was it was absolutely uh, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Um, but what I was interesting about the the nature of them though that these people these people that turned up. I mean, these weren't the kind of violent anti-leftist yobs that you get in in Britain. You know, as I said, the gene pool is smaller. The in Finland, the the level of psychopathic personality is lower. Uh, uh, the the level of conscientiousness and rule following is higher, and it, the, these people just wouldn't do anything. I mean, even though I went up to this girl's dog and started stroking it and letting her lick, letting it lick me, she she didn't do anything. These these three that were standing there, um, and I think that's one advantage that 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 you have here that there is still this feeling of of of, of finishness and of people being the same. Whereas there's a general tendency across Europe. There's very interesting research by what's his, Peter Turkin's name is a Russian um, uh, researcher, and he, he argues that we society is becoming ever more polarized, and he argues that America is as polarized now as it was at the beginning of the Civil War. We're incredibly polarized and on all of the markers of polarization, things like people being too educated for the number of middle class jobs, uh, things like people having a sort of loathing and distrust of people that are politically different from them, things like um, there being large wealth differences, There's all of these markers of polarization that ultimately culminate in war. Uh, and uh, we're incredibly polarized. And you'd expect that Finland would also be becoming more polarized, but it doesn't seem anything like as polarized as Britain or America. It, it is it is of course true that the Finnish Antifa they are currently pretty tame, but I see a certain uh, radicalization. You've, uh, I've been hit by a bike lock. Uh, there's been a stoning in Tampere last summer, and so they are gradually becoming more violent uh, even here, and. Uh, it's it's sad to see because I, I predicted all this uh, years ago. I, I said these Finnish Antifa guys they will be as violent as the Swedes or the German Antifa, but uh, 
since uh, nobody listens to me, it's uh, there's a super chat, or do you want to? Uh, yeah, go uh, on. Okay, so Knatterton said uh, or asks, "What is your idea uh, to make how to make ethnic Finns more ethnocentric? Uh, good examples of ethnocentric peoples are Armenians and especially Jews. How?" How could ethnic Finns reach the same level of ethnocentrism than, uh, than for example, Jews? The, Jew, the Jews are highly ethnocentric. Yeah. Well, I, I, one factor is simply the, what have these people managed to do? These people that have undermined ethnocentrism. They, the two two things that have undermined it. One is that we religiousness promotes ethnocentrism traditional religiousness and religiousness is associated with stress we're more instinctive at a time of stress and we have an evolutionary adaptation to be religious and to be ethnocentric so when we are very very unstressed which we are our level of mortality salience is incredibly low even with this plague our level of mortality salience is incredibly low we become less religious we become less ethnocentric and so people need to something needs to be done to elevate um, the levels of stress of people. Um, now, one of the things that you, if you, that they used to do, of course, was have military service, which would be if, if where you would sort of brutalise people, um, and as, as as it were, permanently elevate their levels of stress, and thus inc and then inculcate them with adaptive values. Now, Finland still has military service, and so absolutely, every, I would think one thing that should be done is that everything should be done to keep military service, and not just that, but make it compulsory. There shouldn't be this option of civil service that is available. It should be that you do military service or you go to prison. And that would be one thing that I think would be uh, a useful uh, a useful tactic to elevate ethnocentrism in the population. But it's it's very very difficult to do things like that when you have a ruling class that is increasingly anti-nationalistic, anti-ethnocentrism, anti-religion, pro the destruction of the country. Um, and so uh, I, I don't. Uh, all I, I, I'm interested in the science of it, and the science of it tells me that it's it's two things: it's genetics, who has children, and it's uh, who is genuinely believes their life has eternal importance. And so I think that's a big thing of it. Would be encouraging people, particularly of a slight, even slightly nationalistic bent, to see their life as having eternal importance, and to encourage them to have as many children as they can, as they can, or at least to have some children. But it's the belief in eternal importance that seems to be relevant. It's groups that believe in, in that they, they have eternal importance that breed and that fight for their own interests. And that's what the Muslims are doing. And that's what we're we're not doing. I can't really give you a... I, I'm more interested in what's happening, really. I leave it to people like Yunus to come up with solutions. Yeah, yeah. I think in Greece they have a mandatory uh, military service. And uh, there's a Greek streamer called Poseidon. And uh, during the... Uh, attempted invasion in February from Turkey, uh, you could see that everybody in Greece was uh, helping the, the border guards and uh, the army to uh, to counter the, the invasion. But I wouldn't see that same thing in Finland. That uh, Imagine we, we would have a uh, an invasion from Sweden. Nobody would, uh, uh, in Finland, would uh, help the, the military. And even the military and the the border control here, they, the only thing they are doing is uh, carrying the bags for the refugees. So it's not a, uh, it's not a serious country, uh, Finland. But uh, yeah, Greece, I think, and they have a, a very long uh, military service. So it's, uh, it, it is one. And to 
add to to the reply to this uh, super chat by Knatertan. I remember you you discussed ethnocentrism in Finland with uh, Marco David uh, on a YouTube stream. It was one year maybe ago. I don't know if it's still available, but I would say to Knatertan to look for that stream. I, uh, I think it was a, a very interesting one. Yes, very bad sound, as I recall. Uh, yeah, but your uh, your comments were very very. Uh, uh, I don't remember. Uh, he seemed to have this army of people that downvoted his video as well. So like yeah, that's yeah. The, the Finnish Antifa. And about the bad sound, uh, you were last Wednesday. You were on Mark Collett's show, I think. Right, or I was on. I may have been last Wednesday or Wednesday before. Yeah, and uh, they they said that you hit your table, so that that. Uh, makes a noise with uh, it vibrates on the microphone and that's one thing that you should look into it because uh, because uh, yeah it's uh, it, it i don't care but I, I i suppose people that will look the replays they will uh, they will be annoyed by the they're, they're, yes they're very much sort of hot house orchids some of these people that watch these streams they want they want you to have a certain kind of microphone a certain kind of camera or, uh, to, to not hit the table to yeah. not, not breathe too heavily so they're very demanding yeah it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a serious business yeah like i i in one broadcast kept getting that sort of message from one viewer who claimed that i was uh, touching the microphone and uh, there was absolutely no contact between me and the microphone i was on the couch the microphone was on the table and there was no contact and nobody else seemed to hear anything but there was this one person who swore that i was hitting the microphone all the time so it might be that you 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 just have a, uh, some very overly sensitive uh, viewers there but i would definitely agree with what you said about uh, having families and how that would further uh, ethnocentrism but not just in the way that uh, it would uh, pass on the good values and the good genes but also that it in the sense that it turns people more conservative because when you look at the people who vote for the greens they are young women uh, and young men people who have no property they have no uh, money they have no children they have no real stakes in the society so they can afford to play around with it that because they don't really have any long-term stakes in the game but once uh, people start uh, getting married, once they start having children, they actually start to realize that they need to leave this country to the next generation in some sort of a livable uh, state. So that's I think true. that's also one one side of the family. Uh, there's two sides to this. First of all, you, you can get people that what, what we call group selected. So people that they don't pass on their genes directly, but they pass on their genes indirectly. You you have kin selection. I the spinster auntie that doesn't have children but she invests a great deal in her nephew or niece and you have group selection like the soldier that lays down his life for his for his uh, for his people uh, but doesn't have any children himself uh, you get you get those kinds of things uh, you, and, and you get this with the leaders so you get leaders who are group selected leaders of countries or leaders of organizations and they don't have any children themselves but they are acting in a group selected way um, a lot of these geniuses do that and there was some very interesting research which uh, by this guy called Felix Post and he found that a lot of these genius types Isaac Newton whatever they all they tend to be sexually dysfunctional or homosexual 
which makes sense because the energy that they would be investing in their children or whatever they are investing in the society in the in the future of the societies they are group selected and um, the thing we have now is this terrible situation in europe where there are so many leaders that are childless and so as you say they haven't grown up in the way that having a child makes you do and they don't seem to be group selective so it's the, it's the worst of both worlds not only are they are they left wing i.e they're not they're anti-group selective they're not looking for the interests of their ethnic group but they're also childless and i think that's the worst combination that they're left wing and childless because then they've just got no they, they've got a, a maladaptive ideology and no stake in the future so there's nothing worse than the left wing childless person yeah, I have really noticed that they are usually the most toxic ones and the most fanatic ones that you uh, whenever you hear the craziest ideas, they always come from this group. And uh, there are a lot of studies, uh, especially about how women's uh, uh, political views adapt when, uh, with age and with maturing and women tend to get more conservative with age. They get more conservative if they get married, they get more conservative if they get children. So I think that there, there might be potential in some of these people to uh, get some sense in them if they if they simply start uh, uh, having uh, start finding husbands and having families so that they would have actually some stakes in the society. There is evidence that when women become pregnant, they become more ethnocentric, which may be a, a way of avoiding pathogens, because if you avoid foreigners, then you avoid novel pathogens, which might damage you and your baby. So having pregnant and having children seems to make women more ethnocentric. That's another thing. But yeah, people um, people become more conscientious with age. They become higher in rule following with age. And, and so this is associated with becoming more conservative. So people tend to become more conservative with age. So you get these silly political commentators that go, oh, God, if everyone... Uh, if 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 uh, people under the age of twenty five all want to vote for the for the far left and say, well, God, there'll be no future for the right. Uh, what's going to happen? But it doesn't work like that because people, as you say, become more conservative with age, um, and they also become more altruistic with age and generally sensible with age, uh, apart from a blip in their early twenties. Um, and but the other thing with women is that of course women used to be more right wing than men, and now they're more left wing. And the key factor is religiousness because women tend to be more religious than men. They're more likely to believe in God. They're more likely to be religious. And so back when the religion was this traditionalist thing, then it was conservative and advocated conservative values, then women were more conservative than men. But with the breakdown of religion and, the, and religion like the Church of Finland, for example, becoming now it's been taken over by the left, it's just this vehicle for left-wing ideas, women are still more religious and therefore more left-wing than men. Um, and or you get either that phenomenon or you get the collapse of religiousness, which means that women in the absence of religiousness are, of course, more left wing than men because they're, they're higher in generalized empathy and, and, and things like that. So there's, there's been this flip in, in women from being more right wing than men to being more left wing than men. And uh, in your in the book, um, uh, The Silent Trade Crisis, uh, uh, in the Finnish translation, uh, yeah, you also have uh, and uh, uh, a new chapter in the book uh, that was written a year after the uh, book itself, uh, in which you talk about uh, uh, what happened afterwards. So uh, what were your thoughts about that? Uh, did, did everything go uh, as you assumed? Were there any surprises on the way how things moved forward from the moment when the grooming gangs uh, or the news about them surfaced in Finland? 
Well, I the, the the book carries on after the the news surfacing. It goes up. It goes up to just before I published it in March uh, of twenty nineteen. I think it was. So it goes up to just before the general election. Uh, and so no, I wasn't surprised. I was I wasn't surprised by them at all. What you basically got that was similar to England was first of all you got repression that they were trying to cover it up. They did all they could to cover it up, and of course they couldn't. Uh, uh, and so it was revealed due to certain people. Uh, and then once it once it came out, then they still lied and tried to cover up details of it, the, how young they were, or the fact that the girl had uh, killed herself or whatever. They tried to cover it up. And eventually it all came out and there was a big reaction. Exactly what happened in Britain. And then, of course, exactly. I know it followed exactly the path you'd expect. And then you have politicians condemning it and, and, and saying what a terrible thing this is and all this. All these 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 exact same politicians who have brought this upon Finland, who have brought this upon the Finns and have told those that question what's happening, that they're racist and bad and terrible, um, uh, have, uh, 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 have done this and, and they, you know, they, they compassion signal and they virtue signal and try and make out how lovely they are. I wasn't then surprised. Of course, there was going to be a massive, there was going to be a boost in the popularity of true Finns. I thought that would happen. It did happen. Uh, um, and and then the, 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 with a country like this that's small and insular, you would potentially expect it to cause change in government, or to, perhaps the government's already unpopular. Uh, but so I wasn't surprised it led to a change in government. And then subsequently, and then we and then we get to the new the new chapter. So what did I uh, let me see? What did I say? So then basically what happened? What I what I look what I look about in, in the new chapter was the reaction to the book, which was that that you first uh, what, what, that you first of all you have these well, I look, first of all I look at the sentences and my disbelief at how lenient they were, and that did surprise me because I didn't really understand enough about the Finnish legal system, even though I've been here for 15 years, to know that I couldn't believe they would be that lenient. So it looks at that, and it looks at the revelations in Ilta Salamat, and that was interesting, that in in May, they I, I 11 years ago, in a bit of research I did, demonstrated that the mosque in Olu was run by a person with, with uh, connections to the Muslim Brotherhood, which is the group that basically is the founder of modern radical Islam. And I demonstrated that 11 years ago and the newspapers weren't interested i told them about it no one reported it. no one cared and then suddenly they were interested and it was front page of Il salamat my research demonstrating that this guy and, the, and i helped the journalist the journalist wanted to track down who his daughter was and i said to him why don't you look at the guy's doctoral thesis which was at university of olu on, on geology maybe you thank this imam maybe you thank he, he thanked his daughter you'll find his daughter's name and of course he did so I, I i i helped him do that article so i was i was interested i was quite pleased by that i was appalled by the sentences i then look at the reaction Reaction to what, what what happened to the book of this antra bloggy witches uh, and, and and the University of Olu and then yeah I wasn't surprised by the fact that it just carries on and, and you have this thing that happened to this poor eighty six year old and uh, and and whatever and then I just move on to the uh, the more the more general analysis of of these moral truth of the, the the religion and just how thoroughly dangerous these people are and, and that's what I want to stress to any Finnish viewers that are that are watching this that a lot of Finns I know are terribly proud of the Winter War if they have an ancestor that fought on particularly on the white side in the Winter War and they have medals from there and they have pictures and whatever and you're in a war this is a war it's a low level war it's a cold war but it's a war. And the people, the people that were the Reds in that war, uh, you in, the, in, the in the Civil War, a hundred yeah. years ago, at least you could argue that they probably weren't pro-foreigner. You, you could you could argue that, that there was a problem with it in the sense that they would have got you probably into the Soviet Union, 
and that would have been bad for you. So fine, I see that point. But I doubt even those people would have been in favour of having your country invaded by foreigners. And that's what these people are in favour of. And so they are so much more dangerous than to, to the interests of Finns than even being sucked into the Soviet Union. It's so these people are a danger. They're, they are dangerous to to this country, as you saw in with this with this rape thing. What what they've done? They you can say, oh, it's these Muslims. Muslims are terrible. And you can criticise them. But as I, I, I argue in the book, it's it, it, that is what you would expect them to do in the situation that they are in. So you shouldn't necessarily blame them. Uh, well, you can blame them, fine, and I can see why you would do so. But but they are acting from an evolutionary psychological perspective, how you would expect them to act in the situation they are in, being very low status foreigners in with not uh, no access to females in the context that they are in. That's how you would expect them to act, and it's how other people have acted in that situation. The real people that are the problem are the people that have enabled this situation to occur and, pe and the people who try to prose prosecute those who draw attention to what the problem is. They are the real problem. They are the real danger. They are the real terrible, terrible people. They are a serious danger uh, to, 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 any, to, to our lives, essentially. And uh, I often see uh, nationalists or conservatives uh, say these sort of things when uh, horrible crimes like uh, grooming gang situations or terrorist attacks occur. That okay, one day uh, people will uh, one day people's um, people will have had enough of this, and then they will rise up and people will go on the streets and. Uh, I, I haven't seen examples of this in Europe that, for example, in Sweden and France, where you basically have warfare in these migrant neighborhoods all the time, especially in France, you don't still see the natives rise up and go to the streets to protest that they have entire areas in the cities where, where, that are constant war zones. So what do you think about this idea? They're too. They're too rich. They're too secure. They've got this. This. Uh, they've got palpable stakes in society. They've got things to lose, and so it, it militates against. And they're they're not particularly religious, so they don't have a kind of sense of eternity and whatever. And so it militates against them doing things like this. That's the problem. Whereas in countries of, of Eastern Europe, uh, they are poorer. They have got less to lose. Uh, and with much more recently, they've been very poor and they've really, really suffered. Um, and so this would militate in favour of them being a bit like my grandparents' generation, really, and, and being ethnocentric and having and, and they've also been inculcated more with these religious ethnocentric values as well. So so therefore, you're going to expect a different reaction. Finland seems to be it's it's maybe 20 or 30 years in, in a lot of ways, in some respects, behind uh, that was certainly the impression I got in 2003. It's like going back in time, going back to the Britain of, I write about this in the book, of going back to the Britain of like the, I don't know, the 60s or something. It's like that. It was like that. It was really going back in time. And so maybe you're between the two. You're between, in that sense, East and West. Uh, and so maybe there's the more, I mean, there was certainly a reaction in, in at the end of 2018 with that group of people gathering out, furious people gathering outside the town hall here in Oulu. And so I think there is, you're you're closer to suffering. I think that's a big part of it. That how close you are to mortality, salience, and suffering, and and that's often to do with how late you industrialize. You industrialize late. So I think it's. I'd have more hope 
in that sense for Finland, in that sense than other countries. That once you get so rich, then you become decadent. And once you become decadent, then you 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 just stop caring and you don't want to fight and you don't want to lose what you've got. And that's unfortunately the situation that a lot of Europe is in. It, it, it therefore would take a very serious crisis to dislodge it. But these crises these crises will happen because multi like the crisis you're seeing in South Africa now. Whenever you get a multicultural societal, you get these crises, but they, t they take time and it can get a lot worse before there starts to be a reaction. Yeah, and I think there might be some sort of wishful thinking and laziness also behind this idea that someday people will rise up, that uh, when people tell that to themselves, they are also telling themselves that, okay, someday people will rise up, so I don't really need to do anything about it today. So I think it's also this sort of self-deception maybe from, from, from some nationalists that they justify not really being as active as they could be by trust, by saying that someday there will be a revolution and other people that's will handle true. this that's very, that's, a very, that's a very good point. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, think how different Finland would be um, if everybody was as active in these things as uh, yourselves. If, 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 if you were just the tip of the iceberg in this city, then there'd be serious change. And so we have to somehow inspire them. If we were in a situation where a lot of people agree with the way that we see things, um, and if those people were as active talking to other people and whatever, and not, as, and not frightened and didn't want to keep their heads down, then the situation would be very different. As if those people are thinking, oh, in the future, everything's going to change. No, it's not. It's only going to, it, partly that's true in terms of things you can't control. Partly it's true in terms of things like who's breeding, who's having children, and these sociological processes that are beyond control of, of anybody. But partly there's also an element of that people will be inspired to act uh, in, in, in by, by certain individuals and by certain uh, certain things and certain ways of behaving. So yeah, the people need to do something. Otherwise, you just look back on your life. What is it they say? When you look back after you're dead, you'll regret what you didn't do, not what you did. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. And we are approaching two hours here. And uh, would you do you have anything to say about uh, your other projects, what you're working on now, your other previous books um, you would uh, like our audience to uh, or to remind well, them about? There's a few books I've done. Yeah, there's, there's At Our Wits End, Why We're Becoming Less Intelligent and What It Means for the Future, which looks at how we're becoming less intelligent that's going to result in the collapse of civilization. Um, there's Race Differences in Ethnocentrism, which draws on some of the things we've been talking about. Why are some races more or less ethnocentric than others? Uh, what have I done? There's The Genius Famine, which looks at the nature of genius. There's a few books I've done. You know, there's... there's uh, um, there's this yes, the silent epidemic. Oh yes, there's Churchill's headmaster, the sadist who saved the British Empire. For anyone interested in World War Two and Victorian England and that kind of thing. And uh, well, there's a few others. Well, there's one that they are. There's those. Those are the ones that are that are relatively. Oh, the, oh there's oh yes, there's there's the one I did called How to Judge People by What They Look Like, which relates to what we we're talking about earlier earlier with Maria Ohisalo and and all this sort of thing, how, how you can judge a person's personality from their face and their body and things like that. So how to judge people by what they look like. That's actually my most popular book, I think. Um, so, yeah, so there's, yeah, there's various books that I've, that I've done over, over recent years. Oh, yes, and uh, Why Islam Makes You Stupid but Also Means You'll Conquer the West. Yes, that, that, that also means you'll conquer the world. Yes, that looks at, at the nature of Islam and why they're beating us and, and what we can do about it. 
So yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a few of them. And also I do videos normally about once a week, the Jolly Heretic, and I live stream on Tuesdays and uh, Mondays and Thursdays at, at uh, 9 p.m. Finnish time, 7 p.m. UK time. So yeah, there's various things I get up to. Yeah, so do you have any books or something like that under works now? Yeah, I told you the one I'm doing on feminism, uh, which is feminism and the fall of the uh, fall of the West, uh, and then also there's what I'm doing on race. It's probably going to be called uh, making sense of race. Um, so those are the two that I'm working on at the moment. Oh, okay. And um, uh, you here has been showing our audience uh, the Amazon uh, sites for your books and uh, your YouTube channel. So and all the stuff, the ones that are, the ones that are more that are more dodgy are on Bitshoot. So go to the Johnny Heretic Bitshoot channel, and that's got things like my my talk on this book and my talk on uh, Santa Marin and and, and and things like that. Because you have to be careful on YouTube. Yeah, the link to Bit, your Bitroot channel is on uh, your blog, and it's uh, it's there edwarddutton.wordpress.com. Uh... Yeah, and of course you should follow it on Twitter, and uh, uh, you I notice you often post links to your videos and other content there, so uh, that's also a handy way to stay up to date of what's going on. Uh, but then. Uh... Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Ed, for joining us once again. You're always uh, uh, fun to talk to. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you both. Hopefully soon we can actually go for an Nepalese meal rather than be locked inside. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there was a final super chat that is only a comment from Knatertona. He says, nationalists and conservatives can beat liberals and leftists by making more babies, win by having a bigger numeral support. That's, uh, mm. Uh, of course, yeah, will fine. your kids be also nationalists? That's a different question. But at least if they are white babies, it will slow the the decline of uh, our demographics. And uh, you picked the, the starting track. Uh, should I end with this uh, Finnish song, Pieni Lintu? Or... Yeah, go on. Yeah, yes, yeah, let's have some Finnish. Okay. But uh, thank you again, Ed. Uh, you're always such a joy to have around. So, uh, and uh, people uh, keep in mind to order his new book. Kamostera uh, in the chat has been very helpful in sending the link uh, to the Amazon page. Uh, uh, and uh, as we said, follow Ed on Twitter, follow him on YouTube, and be sure to follow his blog so you can stay up to date uh, about his upcoming works. Uh, but uh, thank you uh, so much. And uh, good night. Thank you. Good night. Bye. Hey, hey. Hey, Bob. Okay, so this was uh, Edward Dutton, episode five of Out of Line. Remember to follow us on uh, D Live. Uh, we also have a Beatroot channel. Uh, well, we, we have several of them, but uh, one is uh, beatroot.com slash out of line. And I upload always the replays of these shows afterwards. And uh, we have Twitter accounts. There's lots of uh, links in the description below this uh, uh, video. Yeah, and there on the Bitchu channel, you can find the previous episodes like uh, Kevin McDonald, Full Moon Ancestry, uh, Greg Johnson, and uh, uh, who is the fourth one? Uh, Kevin uh, McDonald. Uh, no, Frodi Meteor. I mentioned yeah, he Kevin was the yeah. yeah. No, he was the second one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, this uh, Friday, uh, we will be joined by uh, Mr. Efrod Devlin, 
uh, and uh, he is the author of Sexual Uto Utopia, The Feminist War on Civilization. And we will talk about civilizing modern women uh, into more uh, sociable creatures. Yeah, and uh, next Tuesday, since it's uh, Cinco de Mayo, we have Lana Lochtef uh, yeah. from Red Eyes. So follow the channel. We have uh, at least for the beginning, we have a great guest. Maybe later we'll have solo shows and uh, just discuss the news. Today, Greg Johnson was debating Andrew Anglin on uh, countercurrents. You can check that on their DLive channel. And yeah, Greg so Johnson it... is is uh, uh, he's on a second debate today with JF Gariepi. I don't know if it's at one or, or if it's in an, in one hour or two hours, but uh, go ch uh, I'll check that out. Uh, some of... Yeah. So <clears throat> today, earlier today. Um, uh, William message that the uh, millennial was who was supposed to host and moderate the debate between uh, Greg Johnson and Andrew Anglin had to cancel because of some sort of an emergency. Uh, so they needed help there. So uh, I went to moderate the uh, debate for them and UNES handled the tech side of the live stream. So uh, they were able to uh, hold everything uh, in. Uh, uh, in their planned schedule. And you can find that the debate on, on the countercurrents uh, channel here on DLive. So I definitely recommend that you uh, uh, also follow that channel here. Yeah, so. Uh, yes, and of course, uh, I could remind people that uh, here also on DLive, a channel called Guide to Culture, uh, K U L C H U R. Uh, is uh, that that is Frodi Midiot's channel here in uh, here on D Live, and uh, he still has ongoing this Decameron Film Festival live live stream series, and he has had amazing guests on there. Like Tarek uh, 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 Taylor was there, E. Michael Jones was there just this weekend. So there are a lot of amazing shows there, and I remember that he still has some upcoming shows. Uh, on that film festival series, so he has interesting guests uh, to talk about different movies and TV series of their 